0: Well, today is uh, September the 8th. We are looking at Lesson 4 of Matthew Part 1, which is Chapter 4. All of our lessons go by the chapter except the first uh, zero lesson we did introduction. So everything is by the chapter. Uh, You see I've written on the blackboard, uh, Sukkot Shlometha, which is the shelter of your peace. Sukkot, anybody who's interested, that sounds and looks like Sukkah. Sukkot is the definite, so it's, it's, uh, it's a specific shelter. Uh, as we enter these, uh, these high holy days coming up, we have uh, Sukkot, which is uh, at the end of the month, this month. Uh, it's actually the middle of the uh, month of uh, Tishri. But at the end of this month, uh, on the Gregorian calendar, we have uh, Sukkot, will be beginning. We lived in shelters. Imagine what it was like in the wilderness which I don't know if you knew this or not, but that is your responsibility, to always be imagining what it was like in the wilderness. Imagine what it was like in the wilderness to live in a shelter where you could gaze up at night. Maybe the tent wasn't very nice or whatever. Oh, careful. You okay? The uh The shelter... Good thing people were there to catch you, huh? The shelter provided a view of a something overhead not stars we we built sukkah so we can see stars right they didn't see stars what did they see over their heads a pillar of fire and a cloud at night or a cloud during day and a pillar of fire at night what did that tell them God was there yeah This is, uh, if if you'll uh, just listen, this is a prayer actually said usually at night. It's from the bedtime Shema. It's called Hashkivenu. Lay us down to sleep in peace, Lord our God. Raise us, erect our King to life and spread over us the shelter of your peace. Sukkot Shlameha. Set us aright with good counsel from before your presence and save us for your namesake. Shield us. Remove from us foe, plague, sword, famine, and woe. And remove Hasatan, Satan, from before us and behind us. And in the shadow of your wings, shelter us. For God who protects us and rescues us are you. For God, the gracious and compassionate King, are you. Safeguard our going and coming for life and for peace for now to eternity. That's I Amen. The... Uh, um, the idea that our master began his ministry being tempted by Satan, Satan, and how it is that he found his shelter, how it is that he found the shelter of the Lord, is uh, the focus of uh, what we're looking at in chapter 4. Uh, from Deuteronomy 17, verse 19-20, through 20, regarding the king. It shall be with him, the king, and he shall read it, what is he reading? Uh, he's, he's reading uh, the scroll that he's written of the Torah. He shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this Torah and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted above his brethren, that he may, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, and that he may prolong his days in his kingdom and his children in the midst of Israel. This is specifically about the earthly kings, or rather the, uh, um, the, the kings who are born from the line of Adam and David, uh, but we're talking also specifically about another king. Uh, not born from the line of Adam, but certainly from the line of David, and that is uh, Messiah himself. Um, how can the king? We've done a great job uh, teaching that our Master, Yeshua, Messiah, is a Savior. He is a Savior. He's, he's fabulously a Savior. Uh, he's done a great job of teaching that and living that. I'm, I'm sad that for 1900 years his disciples have not been a very, done a very good job of teaching that he is the King. And that's the focus of Matthew, is he's the King. And if he's going to be the King, then he's going to be obedient. Absolutely obedient to God. Uh, in the last couple of lessons, we've looked at the kingdom message. We had, specifically, uh, two weeks ago, we looked at the uh, message of the kingdom, which was repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We know that kingdom of heaven is a circumlocution for saying the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. We saw that that, uh, that John, the baptizer, came and he, he taught that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. And then he... Uh, invited people to change their status, their status of rebellion to obedience. And that change of status was signified by immersion. Okay, And that's what we call baptism oftentimes, but it's immersion, a change in status. Yes, ma'am. What's the
1: difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom
0: of God? None. No difference, no. Heaven is simply a circumlocution uh, or a substitute, an evasive synonym. Synonym. cinnamon is a, is a spice. Synonym. Synonym <laughs> for, uh, for God's name. Here's what you're going to recognize. is
1: the kingdom of God more extensive?
0: No, it's exactly the same. Here's the reason why I know this. That Matthew is following a tradition of not saying God's name, except, and this is a very Jewish thing, God's name is only mentioned in prayer or when reading scripture. Even the evasive synonym of Lord, or in Hebrew, which which would be Adoni or Adonai, my Lord, right? That evasive synonym is never mentioned without reading it in prayer or by reading scripture even though it's even evasive for God's holy name. So they're two levels away from God's holy name. This is a third level away from God's holy name. God is not his name. His name is not God. We say that as an, as a, an evasive synonym to say something other than his name because we don't know how to pronounce his name. I don't anyway. Some people think they can, but I don't know how. So I just use the evasive synonyms. Uh, and And heaven... Is that third level away from actually mentioning his name?
1: I always heard this expression, the kingdom is within you.
0: I, I understand that. And I think that part of the problem with this use, and that's why we're spending some time looking at the kingdom of heaven as a phrase, and why we're going to explore it specifically when we get through his teachings, Yeshua's teaching, it has been taught, well, it was the kingdom. Was the kingdom coming, or was the kingdom now? Was it within us? Was it was without us? And the problem is, in all of those things, they're missing the very basic formula, and that is the king. It has nothing to do with the kingdom. It's a way of saying the king is here. That's all it is. That's all it is. It's not some secret code phrase that we have to understand to understand theology. It's quite simply, the king is here.
1: So it's not saying that Jesus is
0: here. So. No. No, it's saying the king's here. He's here. That's right.
1: But Repent. Jesus reigns in, his, in your heart.
0: Where is the kingdom? The, the, kingdom is, the kingdom is being expressed through your life. See, this is the basic problem with, with, with Greek or Western thinking is we separate inside from outside. Visible from invisible. We need to understand it's all one package, right? So there's no such thing as oh, I can have him in my heart which I'm still struggling with that concept. How is he in my heart? He's not in my heart. I have, I may, you know, I'm I'm a 50-year-old, almost a 50-year-old man. Maybe I have heart disease, you know. Oh, no, is he in a diseased heart? (laughs) (laughs) No, he's not in my heart. That's a phrase we use to say what? He's the most treasured thing that I have. He's in my life. Well, how do you know that he's the most treasured thing that I have that he's in my life? Do I live like it? It's expressed. So the idea that there can be something inside but not outside, is just nonsense. It's just nonsense. Of
1: course, if, if he's the center of your universe, I think that's what it means. It
0: is. But understand, I, I, I'm sensitive to this because I've, I've raised, and I'm raising three sons. And imagine what a child hears when you say, invite him into your heart. They, they, they don't hear yeah. that. They don't know what that means. Uh, actually, it's not biblical. I'm sorry, it's just not. I think
1: the idea of the in the silver the It
0: does, sure. It's all within you. Everything you need is, is within you. It's easy for, it's easy for the pagan counterfeit to grasp these concepts and steal them because they're not biblical.
1: Plus the western schism between heart and mind that's right
0: what do we say well he's in my mind i just need to move him down to my heart what no he's not in my mind either unless i'm thinking about him you know I and mean, we're using we're using plato's philosophy to describe the religion of scripture and that's sad anyway let's move on we understand that this repent that this kingdom is here, and the message is, repent. This is what John taught, repent, the king is here. The kingdom of God is here. And Yeshua is going to do it in in chapter 4, and we're going to see that he sends his disciples out later on in chapter 12, he does the same thing, teach people, repent, the king is here. What is it to repent? It's not a change of thought, that's Greek. Greek says, and the Greek word for repent is actually a change of thinking. That is not what it is in Hebrew. What is it in Hebrew? Shuv. Teshuva, repentance, means to physically turn around, walk the other way. You're walking the wrong way. Walk the right way. What is it? The way that we're going to walk? It's God's way. Let's look at uh, Matthew chapter four, verses one through two. Those are great questions, y'all. Please don't stop. Raise your hand or just blurt it out. Teshuva. It is a uh, well, a a uh, transliteration would be T. And some people put an E or a, an apostrophe, Teshuvah, C- uh, S-H-U-V-A-H. Teshuvah or Teshuvah. Depends on whether you're Israeli Hebrew or whether you speak an Ashkenazi Hebrew. Uh, Brooklyn, excuse me, Brooklyn or Israeli? <laughs> yeah.
1: mm-hmm.
0: Teshuvah is how we say it in the United States. Teshuvah, I think, is probably more correct for, for Israeli Hebrew. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 through 2. I speak Ashkenazi, by the way. Then Yeshua was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Hasatan would be the way you'd say that in Hebrew. Uh, And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. After 40 days of fasting, we we know this 40 days of fasting thing, right? It's Moses. That's That's the picture we're supposed to get. Matthew, a good Jew, wants us to draw that connection right away. It's like Moses. He's like Moses. Well, that's exactly what the first disciple said. A prophet like Moses came. That's from Deuteronomy chapter 18. Moses prophesied. One like me, a prophet like me, will come. Him you will obey. And 40, so,
1: the number 40 is for a lot of
0: things. Lots for of things. And lots of trials. Trials, and that's stay, right. 40 years of wandering.
1: That's right. 40,
0: years of 40 a, days of rain. It is a testing. It is a time of testing. That's mm-hmm. exactly right. After 40 days of fasting... Moses receives the Torah after 40, 40 days of fasting uh, Yeshua, for Yeshua. The enemy comes and tempts Yeshua to break the commandments. That's exactly what he does. From the very beginning, what does he do? Ch- uh, verse, uh, verse 3. Chapter 4, verse 3. Now, when the tempter came to him, and he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Is there a problem with that? was a couple, but it doesn't seem like there are any on the surface. Well, you're hungry, what's the problem? All right? And he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Uh, you've, you guys have probably heard lots of sermons on this, and, and, or discussion about this occurrence in chapter 4 of, 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 uh, of, of Matthew. Unfortunate for me, I think it's unfortunate anyway, is that many times it misses the very thing that's going on. Um, People like to say it this way. This is specifically the way people like to say it. Well, if you want to guard yourself against the enemy, you need to answer with scripture. And that's true. But what scripture does he answer with? Does he quote Paul? Nothing wrong with Paul, but does he quote Paul? He quotes, he quotes from Deuteronomy. And in, in fact, what he quotes, what he quotes here, um, let's go to uh, Deuteronomy 8. One of the things that you need to know about Scripture and the way that, in the, especially in the Apostolic Scriptures in the New Testament, is that when you read a quote, my Bible has it in italics, it usually has a cross reference. When you read a quote, don't be satisfied with that. Go back and read the passage. Go to read Deuteronomy chapter 8, Verse 1 through 3. Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you, to know what was in your heart. There's the heart idea, right? (laughs) What's in your heart? It's going to come out. Whether you will keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you and allowed you to hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What does that mean? When Yeshua answered the enemy man doesn't live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What did he mean? Why is that a good defense? Because we're more than just our bodies, more than just our flesh here in this world. We're something
1: above or beyond that. We're well, actually making the reference to depend on God for everything, because your act, the, the, the paraphrase is, the clincher is basically, you know, don't, don't live by bread
0: alone but by the word of God
1: but if you go back and read it again it's, it's, it's God-centered. everything is
0: god centered absolutely we're going to see we're going to see when we get later on and and cross reference over to John chapter 6 that this idea of bread bread is a messianic thing it's a messianic symbol okay we saw that he was born where? In Beth the house of bread, right? It is a messianic symbol in some way. And in John chapter 6, Yeshua makes this direct correlation. Moses, when you followed Moses, God sent manna from heaven. I'm the bread of life. He made this correlation, right? And so we see this, uh, this is what he did at uh, 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 Capernaum. If you go to the synagogue in Capernaum, that's where he said that. The idea that bread is related to Messiah. So, right away, we see this Messianic reference. Turn these stones to bread. Man shall not live by bread alone. This is a Messianic... We're supposed to sit up and pay attention. Whoa, this is a Messianic thing. And in fact, you're going to see, even in extant writings, that bread is always related somehow to Messiah. What's the the, uh, big thing in Ruth? Is there a bread picture in Ruth? The book of Ruth? What's in the book of Ruth?
1: Kinsman redeemer.
0: There's a kinsman redeemer, yes. But in Ruth, she's working the fields, right? And in fact, what, when do we read Ruth? We read Ruth at the harvest time at, 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 at uh, uh, Shavuot, right? And the idea that barley loaves are waved and all this bread thing. It's a messianic symbol. It's a messianic symbol. Who is she? Who is she? Who's Ruth? She's a great 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 grandmother of Messiah. Yeah, that's right. She's the great 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 grandmother of, Messiah, of David. So she's she is she is the lineage of Messiah. She's a mother of Messiah. as it were. Does that also correlate with him being placed in a manger? Oh sure. Yeah. All those pictures. Yeah. All those pictures. Yeah. All the, I mean, great pictures. Exactly right. Um, Interesting. His commandments. But what we see is that God said... Go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. At the end, verse 24. And I think I read this to us a couple of weeks ago. Chapter 6, verse 24. And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. Then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. The idea that God gave words that were life-changing, that if we live by them, we live. Is the whole idea behind man shall not live by bread alone. But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We're about to go into the Holy Days here shortly. The High Holy Days. How many of those who claim to be the disciples of Yeshua actually even know there is such a thing as the High Holy Days? They're in Leviticus chapter twenty-three. They're not optional. If you live by them, you live. These are good words. Oh, it doesn't. We know what it means, so we don't have to do it anymore. I know what a lot of things mean. Does that mean I have to stop doing them? I know what it means not to lie. Does that mean I can start lying? As long as I understand the basic truth of it all, right? <laughs> See the disconnect? Matthew chapter 4, verse 5. Then he took him, the devil, excuse me, took him into the holy city and sent him, where is that? Jerusalem. And sent him on the pinnacle of the temple. Why is that important? It's very important. Actually, in extant Jewish texts, it's important as well. Because that's where Messiah will declare himself to be Messiah. On the pinnacle of the temple. On the roof of the temple. Uh, it's where they, in your, in your homework, it's where, it's where uh, Yaakov, James, was tossed off the roof of the temple. He, was, he was, actually wasn't killed by the fall. It's a long ways down, but he wasn't killed by the fall. He was killed with a Fuller's, uh, with a Fuller's um, uh, club. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written... He shall give his angels charge over you. See so quotes. He quotes from Psalm. Uh, Was it Psalm ninety-one? And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. So apparently, it's not enough just to quote scripture. It's in context, right? What did God intend? God did not intend that scripture to mean that. You could just jump and look. It'll be like a big deal. Everybody'll say you're Messiah. Understand that Yeshua is not interested in telling everybody he's Messiah. I'm sorry, that is not usually taught. Yeshua's not interested in telling everybody he's Messiah. He goes around about not to tell anybody he's Messiah. Why? Why? We're going to be asking that question all during the whole, you know, through all three parts of Matthew here. Why does he not want anyone to know he's Messiah? What's the deal? Well, he doesn't want anyone to know. But he certainly doesn't want most people to know. He reveals himself to certain people, doesn't he? That's what they were looking for. That's right. At least not yet. <laughs> that's right. That's exactly right. That's, exactly right. that's,
1: right. that's exactly right.
0: That was only a little piece of the big picture. Yeah, that's, the, that's the easy part, right? Deuteronomy chapter 6. She said they were looking for a king to overthrow Rome. I, I, I'm afraid.
1: David. And restore the kingdom of David. Kingdom.
0: That's right. Uh, I, I want to tell you that many of his disciples today are looking for the wrong thing as well.
1: Yes.
0: They're looking for him to come back so they can escape trouble and spend the rest of their life in heaven, eating chocolate or whatever else they <laughs> want to do.
1: <laughs>
0: do they want the king to reign from his throne in Jerusalem? and to obediently follow Him for eternity. Boy, put it in that, those terms, I think you just wiped out whole denominations.
1: <laughs>
0: Deuteronomy chapter 6. Sorry, that wasn't very nice. Yeah, I love Presbyterians, I really do, but they don't want to go to Jerusalem. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted Him at Massah. What's Massah? Where's that? Masah Uh, Masah. you shall that's right you shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God his testimonies his statutes that he has commanded us by the way the Torah is divided into parts but there's no moral civil or ceremonial those are not the parts the parts of the Torah are divided his commandments are mitzvot edut uh, as we saw in Psalm 119 uh, uh, what's some other ones There's lots of different ones. In English, precepts, statutes. They're all different words. Those are the divisions. And you know that they all add up to the same thing. God's word. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord. Verse 18. And it may go well with you, and that you may go in and possess the good land of which which the Lord swore to your fathers. Um, And go to Exodus chapter 17. We're going to read what happened in Massah. Exodus chapter 17, verse 5. I believe that's correct. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. 5 through 7. Yes, thank you. Exodus chapter 17, 5 through 7. And the Lord command, said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, in Horeb. That's, uh, that's uh, um, Sinai. And you shall strike the rock and water will come out and the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Massah and Maribah because of the contention of the children of Israel. Why did he call it this? Because they, because they tempted the Lord saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Interesting how this plays out. What you understand is when he starts quoting from this and the idea that... that uh, um, That they tempted God at at Massa. It was because they doubted whether God was with them. What are we seeing here in Emmanuel? Who will believe that this man, as they thought was from Nazareth, nothing good comes from Nazareth, that he could possibly be Emmanuel, God with us? Matthew chapter 4, verse 8 through 10. Yes ma'am. Uh, I Moses was
1: not supposed to strike the rock and that's why he would not This is the, at the end. Now that's the that's the
0: second occurrence. Correct. Okay. Correct. Okay. Says bec- and it says because he had he had profaned God in the sight of Israel. That's right. Yeah. That's the second occurrence. So this okay. one he's he speak to the rock. Said speak to the rock. That's speak right. That's right. Rock. that's right. Yeah. All sorts of cool, <coughs> cool images in that. Uh anybody knows anything from uh uh, 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 Jewish uh, tradition knows that who is the rock in Jewish tradition? Miriam is the rock. And, and uh, interesting, this is the same thing that Paul draws from when he says, that rock that followed Israel around in the wilderness, that rock was Messiah. <laughs> it wasn't Miriam, it was Messiah. And that idea is that it's, a, it's, a, it's symbolic, the fact that God provides. Yeah. So he's water and he's bread. Interesting, isn't it? Anyway, that's another that's another point. We'll get to that again. Actually we will get to that again. Not this week. Matthew chapter four, verse eight through ten. Again the devil took him up to an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he said to him, All these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Yeshua said to him, Away with you, Satan ha-Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Uh, Every one of these temptations is a shortcut. Turn Turn stones into bread. This messianic symbol turns stones into bread. Ooh, he's Messiah. He's at the pinnacle of the temple where Messiah will declare himself. Ooh, he's Messiah and everybody sees it. Especially at a festival time. How perfect is that? And then we see, and then we see this bow down, but be, I'll give you the nations. Are the nations to be given? Who owns the nations? I would say that yes, Hasatan, the enemy, in fact, could have given this. No, wouldn't you? <laughs> but is that the way to become Messiah? Is that the way to be recognized as Messiah? These are all shortcuts. Get it without the work
1: the thing that struck me as I read him was a reminder
0: of how he also changes his with the big yes that's right that yeah, not quite true. yeah that's right he uh, will surely die in the day that you eat it will you well technically he was correct wasn't he And their understanding did they really die no they didn't well we know that really they did but it's not the same is it so technically he's correct The enemy is very good at this. Masking the truth with technicalities. Parsing words, as it were. Right? Being very careful what he says. It's not really a lie. But his intention is a lie, is it not? The shortcut to becoming, or to being recognized as Messiah, because he already was Messiah. The shortcut, the world will know you're Messiah. By the way, this is exactly the same problem that we discussed with those who were looking for him then. Right? They want him the way that they're supposed to see him. Come to take us and restore the Davidic kingdom. Is that true? Yes, absolutely. That is true. He will restore the Davidic kingdom. But is are they willing to consider that he's also the Messiah described in Isaiah 55 and all? Right? Or 53 and all? Is he, is, are you willing to accept that he could be a suffering messiah as well this is why Judaism actually has two messiahs because it's, it's, they're unwilling to accept we're sometimes unwilling to accept that this one person can be described these two different ways as sufferer and as victor so it's all a shortcut to the coronation uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6 go back again to Deuteronomy chapter 6 One of the most important chapters in all Scripture.
1: Chapter
0: 6, verse 13. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve Him, and shall take oaths in His name. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him at Massah. God is among us. And that's what we're seeing here. Uh, Yeshua answers every one of these temptations from the Torah. From the very chapters of the Shema. You know what the Shema is, right? It's why you begin your day. Well, you begin your day because he says this, but you begin your day by the Shema because it's like saying, OK, you're the king speaking to God. You're the king. I'm the subject. I take your yoke upon me. I will I will obediently follow you today. That's why we end it at the end of the day. It's an opportunity for us to consider have, how did I do today? He's a forgiving God. He knows that we don't do very good most of the time. <laughs> but he doesn't give up on us as easily as we give up on ourselves. We simply go, I can't, and so I won't. And he says, you can't, but can you trust in me? Can you obey me anyway? Can you at least try? Isn't that what you tell your children when they're very little? Can you at least try? Can you at least try to do what I asked you to do? He's a very... Very patient God. He's very patient with us. But what he delights in is children who will stand before him and say, Will you speak and tell me what to do again? I'll try this time. And this and this is precisely why the Shema is so precious to us, because we recognize who we are. Hero Israel, the Lord our God. He's one. He's one. <laughs> Go to Matthew chapter four verse seventeen. What is this message? And this is what we we saw this over in chapter three verse two, where John says, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand." And now look in chapter four verse seventeen. From that time, Yeshua began to preach, saying, and to say, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand." If you go up to verse twelve, reading down. You, you read that Yeshua begins his ministry he leaving Nazareth, verse 13, he came and dwelt at Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, uh, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, the land of Zebulun, the land of uh, Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness, have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. And then it says in verse 17, from that time, Yeshua began to preach and say repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand go to chapter 4 verse 23 and Yeshua went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the peoples who has a version that says the good news of the kingdom there anybody have that which version is that the complete Jewish Bible see uh, yeah, I would have known that David Stern would do a nice job like that that's good it, one I the, a there's nothing wrong with the word gospel don't misunderstand but unfortunately we think it means something different than what it means what did we see that when we looked at in Isaiah what's the good news what is good news to those who were looking for Messiah in the first century when he showed up but did not recognize him what good news were they looking for The king is here, right? Yeah. Why didn't they recognize him? Because they didn't see him as the king. That's right.
1: They were looking for a robe, a king and robes. That's right. Robes
0: and... Sure. Set up the Davidic kingdom. This is good news, y'all. That is the good news. The gospel message is, all the way through the Bible, the gospel message, the good news is God will sit on the throne. That's the good news. It is. He's the king. Yeshua, Messiah, is king. This is the good news. Why is it good news to say repent? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Because you're not excluded. That's good news. You're not excluded. You can get into this kingdom. In fact, repent is your response so that you can see the kingdom. True? And someday everyone will see it, whether they repent or not. But you have a chance to be a subject to the king. That's great news. Now, I know that many teach and I've taught the gospel is, as 1 Corinthians chapter fifteen teaches, that he came, he was born, he died, he was resurrected. And he is seen by witnesses. That is good news. Absolutely good news. But understand, that's a part of the gospel message. The gospel message. If you want the big piece, the headline it is, The King is Here. That's the gospel message. The King is Here. There's
1: a song like that, The King is Coming.
0: Yeah, The King is Coming. What a great song. So the good news message that Yeshua teaches now is, in fact, this idea that the kingdom of heaven isn't here. Go back to uh, uh, verse chapter four, verse uh, 18. Now he's going to do something kind of unkingly. In fact, we're going to not see very kingly stuff the rest of this book. Now that we establish that the king is here, we're going to have a hard time identifying him as the king. It's the truth. Except by little things like phrases that he uses or speaks of himself or others speak of him. But he's not going to act like the king from here on. It seems like we ought to get all excited at the end of chapter 4 and go, finally, this is it. The king is here. And that's exactly why people missed him and still miss him today is because they are willing to see the king as someone weaker than themselves. He can't possibly look like that. He can't possibly do those things. Come on, where's where's the where's the tanks and the, you know, the jets and the you know and the and the parades and all that stuff? The throne, come on, let me see the king. Right? That's what I I'm sorry, that's the way I would like to see him
1: <laughs> Okay, the
0: songs and the choirs and <laughs> now the king looks different, doesn't he? And here's what he, what does he start doing? He starts doing something that is very unusual, unless you get a grasp of why he spoke to the enemy the way he did, from God's word, speaking about obedience to God's word. Because what he begins is, he begins the life of a Torah teacher. I mean, you know, I mean, of all the things that you would name, you know, that wouldn't be the pinnacle. Unless you had a deep background in Jewish things. And then you'd say, oh yes, that's, that's the ones that we really look to. Those are the ones, the sages of Israel, that are the closest to God. They're the ones that we follow. They, they're the ones that give us a glimpse of what is invisible. But
1: some people did recognize they did. that his teaching was out of the ordinary and that's God right of the and,
0: we are, and we are definitely going to see that when we get into the, what's called the Sermon on the Mount that's exactly right so he starts this, this ministry chapter 4 verse 18 he says and Yeshua walking by the sea of Galilee saw two brothers Shimon called Kepha Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother casting a net into the sea but they were fishermen and he said to them follow me and I will make you fishers of the men and they immediately left their nets and followed him why did they leave their nets everybody makes this like ooh it's supernatural ooh. <laughs> and it may be I'm not saying it's not supernatural but the point is that they, they had already recognized they would already recognized here's someone very wise and uh, it doesn't hurt to look, get some wisdom in other words it was already part of and predisposition of these righteous men these are not bad guys who somehow turn good these are already righteous men they're already very very humble men he's going to make them better They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, Yaakov, James, the son of Zebedee, uh, Yochanan, John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Thank you very much. Uh, Is it right to leave a father to go follow him? It was right to leave any father to go follow a teacher. That's just that's just right. In fact, one of the greatest teachers in the Talmud, uh, Eleazar ben Herkanas, has a great falling out with his father so that he can fa- go follow Yohanan ben Zakkai, his teacher. And later on, uh, there's a great mending of the ways, but we see that, in fact, this is, this is absolutely correct, that teach me God's word is far superior than teach me as a father would. Hopefully the father is. Deuteronomy the 6, the father's teaching him the word. But the point is that following this master, following this, this wise man, uh, is, is something uh, that the father would agree to. Absolutely, go. And Yeshua went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sicknesses, and all kinds of disease among the people. Ooh, miracles. That's how we know Messiah. Wrong. Deuteronomy 13 says, if you see miracles, signs and wonders don't follow unless they obey me. Unless they
1: what?
0: Unless they obey me. Obedience is the sign of Messiah, not signs and wonders. Do you know how many of our brothers and sisters will be snatched and taken away by signs and wonders, Mm -hmm. completely disregarding the very commandments that God has given? Wait a minute signs and wonders that's very supernatural.
1: Yeah, all kinds of supernatural
0: that's right there's all kinds of supernatural <laughs> the supernatural that matters is obedience to God that's it it's easy boy it seems so anticlimactic this is, the, this is the way that you know Messiah not by the signs and the wonders not by the fulfillment of prophecy you know the Messiah because he is perfectly obedient. That's why we know him. It is. Think about it. That is why we know him. He is the perfect one. He's the righteous one. Then his fame went throughout all Syria and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon possessed and uh, epileptics and paralytics and he healed them. These are the stories we love to hear. We're going to talk about them as we go through Matthew because they're important stories. Very important. Don't discount the miracles. But that's not how you know Messiah. Those are kind of like the headline. Look at me. And then when you examine, you see the perfectly obedient life and then you go, this is the one. This is the one. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, from Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Isn't it wonderful that people are attracted to signs? It's too bad that they saw the headlines and didn't read the story. Right? What we see is when Yeshua calls these disciples Talmudim it is about transmitting truth to multi-generations. That's always what it is. You are to raise up disciples in children and those around you who are younger because you want God's word to extend beyond your lifetime in the lifetime of those that you interact with. That is what it is to have disciples. That's what Yeshua is doing. He is raising up children Talmudim Disciples raising up children who will transmit his message, his teachings, his life to another generation, because then they'll raise up children. This is this is the Jewish way. It's the Jewish way. You know, God's word, as we've seen, can be completely discounted if it isn't taught. I mean, Bibles everywhere, but are people living by God's word? It is what. is required is to teach teach another generation Um, and to be taught and live by the way it's not enough just to teach it extended to multiple generations is, is is the goal an obedient teacher extends his obedience bond beyond his lifetime uh, if you follow, if you've done much reading Hasidic literature or, or anything along those lines, uh, what you discover is there's a very deep parallel in, uh, in, in uh, uh, the Hasidic movement from about the 16th, 15th century on to, the, the, to this model. We people see people talking about their Rebbe and, and le- learning from their Rebbe and learning, uh, which is, uh, like we say in Hebrew, uh, our Aramaic rabbi. Yeah. Um, but learning from their Rebbe and how their Rebbe speaks and, that's, and they, want, they want to learn from their, from their Rebbe Yeshua is our Rebbe if we're his disciples he's our Rebbe he's our Holy One that we connect to because we want to spend eternity with the Almighty Yeshua proves his Messiahship not by miracle, miraculous signs the tempter the way the tempter suggested but rather by his obedience to his message he follows God's way period And this is the first test. Deuteronomy 13, Deuteronomy 18. Uh, Get get some time if you didn't look them up before. Look them up. You'll see this is the test of the true prophet of God. The test of Messiah is obedience. He was perfectly obedient, and now he's begun choosing his disciples. Why? Because he wants to transmit his teaching to them. He's going to show himself as Savior at the end of this book. But until then, His primary mission is to teach and prepare these men to carry his message to the next generation. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. We thank you for Yeshua. We thank you that you have cloaked yourself in humanity so that we may see you, touch you, live with you, that you may live among us and that you have done this. We thank you for Messiah, the perfect Lamb, chosen not only to redeem us but to show us how to live. Father, not only to show us how to live, but that we can be his subjects and live under him uh, for eternity. We thank you that you are king, and we recognize you as king. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Amen.